0: Bible with them. And in doing that, I left them on my desk when I went in there to write them down. Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. Gotta get in Philippians, I'm in Ephesians. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as the light of the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. So Paul is giving instruction to the people of Philippi here, and he's telling them how to live their lives, how they're supposed to, without murmurings, without complainings, in all things, without rebuke. What is rebuke? Disapproval. Disapproval from the world in the way that we're living our life. Disapproval in the world and the way that we're doing things in our life. Because why? We are to be a light to the world. Our life is supposed to be a walking, living testimony unto Jesus Christ. When people see us, they're not supposed to see us, as John the Baptist said, but they are to see the Christ that lives within us. And so all Paul is doing is reiterating what Christ basically said in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5 through 7, he is saying this is how we are to live our life. The problem with that is the church today, universally speaking, no longer lives according to those standards. The world has set standards, man has set standards, whether it be through denomination, false doctrine, apostasy, improper teaching. So what we have done now is we have adjusted to the way the world believes the church is supposed to live our life and not according to the word of God. And so Paul is saying here, not just in a few things, but he says when you look at the scripture there, he says in all things, all things. That means in everything we do in our life, it should give God the glory. Why? Because it's supposed to be without disapproval. So a lot of times I talk to people and they say, I struggle with this, I struggle with that. I don't know how to get over this in my life. And sometimes I'll, and then then I'll have them just flat out tell me, but you know, in my own mind, I don't think it's wrong. Well, the problem with that is this, folks. God don't care whether or not you think it's wrong or not. It's what the Word of God says that's important. It's what God says in His Scripture. God doesn't change what He says in the Word of God to conform to this world. But what does He say in Romans? He says, transform ye by the renewing of your mind. Don't live like the world. Live like Christ. We are not to be the world. He says, you have been set apart. You are not of the world, you are in the world once you come unto him. So we don't have the right to sit there and say, well, you know, Pastor Cowan, I know what you said in the sermon last week, and that's nobody here that said that. Of course, somebody called me after they listened to the podcast. But, God said, <laughs> but what God is saying, is, what, what I'm trying to say is this. It doesn't matter whether you think this is right or that's right or that's right. You can convince yourself in your mind all day, long, all day long that you're okay in believing that. But if it doesn't come out of the scripture, if it can't be supported by the Bible, and if evident initially, initially, you're wrong, let me just say that, okay? For example, the Supreme Court came out a few, a few weeks ago and said that homosexual marriage is legal, okay? Homosexual marriage is now legal in this country. And so people are running all over the place now saying it's okay for homosexuals to get married because the Supreme Court said it's okay for homosexuals to get married. Now, in this country, that's the law now. But you know what? That's not the Bible. So even though in the United States of America it's okay to marry two homosexuals together, in God's standard and in God's eyes, it's still wrong. Even though in Colorado it's legal to smoke marijuana and do drugs... In God's eyes, it's still wrong. And that's what this scripture is trying to say. In all things, without rebuke, without disapproval, you must now live as a believer in Christ to a higher standard because there will be those, whether right or wrong, that are going to judge your life, look at your life, and determine how they should live theirs and what they want to do based off of what you're doing. Are you following me on this? So when we think it's okay to do something here, nobody's looking or nobody will see, eventually what happens is you get careless with that and people do begin to see how you're living your life. Your life may be the only Bible that someone that is a non-believer in Christ reads. You are a living, walking witness for the power of God, for the testimony of Jesus Christ and how you represent him in in public, in front of others, family members, whoever it might be. You may be the only Bible that individual reads and they may be looking at you and saying, well, if they do that, why can't I? How many people in our lives that have come across our path, once we become a believer in God, a believer in Jesus Christ, and he didn't just become our Savior, he became Lord of our life, have we gone and we have stumbled and we have fallen in front of those that are not believers in Christ, and because of our walk and because of our testimony, we push that person away from God, not knowing that we did it, not knowing that our losing our temper in the store, or losing our temper on the job, or however it might have been because we're always feeling sorry for ourselves, we're always reaching out to others just to push them away. And doing those simple actions, we push them away from the one that we love most in our life, and that is Christ. If you turn with me to Matthew, the fifth chapter, and the thirteenth verse. Matthew 5 and 13. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Church, once we become a believer in Christ, we become the salt of the earth. What's the purpose of salt? What is the purpose of salt? If you were to go ask a chef and you would say, What is the purpose of salt in this recipe? he'll say, The salt takes that which is good already and makes it even better. It brings out the best flavor in the food. Now, can you oversalt? Well, of course you can oversalt. But when applied properly, it's going to bring something out and it makes it taste better we are to be the salt of the earth our lives are living walking testimony for jesus christ so that when our lives are applied to those things that are not good in this earth when our life is applied to those that aren't living their life in christ we bring out the best in them as they come to christ as well but if you were to take a salt shaker and begin to salt it on your food put it onto your food and nothing happened from it what would be the purpose of that salt You'd throw it away and send your wife, or you'd go yourself to go get another box of salt. There's something wrong with that one. Well, that's what happens when we take our testimony away from us that God has given us, that he has put into our life. When we lose our temper, I I know I keep going back to temper, I don't know why, but whatever it is we're doing in our life that's wrong and others see it, we've lost the savor of our salt, and now we're no longer any good to that plate of food or that witness or that mission field that God's put in front of us. Now, I'm going to give you an example of that of someone that lost their savior their savior, not their savior back in 19 i'm going to say 93 i believe it was or beginning of 19 it was 1993 i had a friend that came to my house to visit me his name was senior m brian young and he knew that i was raised in the church i was raised in the church up until the age of 18 when i moved out of my parents house that's when i quit serving god Right? But I was raised in the church. I knew the scriptures. Let me tell you something. You can be raised in church, know every scripture in the Bible, and still be wrong. Can you say amen? amen. And Brian Young comes over to my house, sits down at my table because he wanted to talk about God. Because he knew how I was raised. So I sat there for an hour and a half, totally not in a position to be talking about God. 1993, I was 23 years old. There was only a couple things on my mind, smoking and drinking. And that was about it. But because of that's where I was raised, I knew what the scriptures were. I knew what to say. I had all the answers for him. And you know, at that point, you know you're wrong, but you feel good about yourself because you're talking about God to somebody, even though you probably shouldn't be. So you feel kind of good about yourself while you're doing it. And I'm just breaking it down for him. Yeah, God does this, God does that for you. But notice, I not once ever asked him if he wants to get saved at the end of the conversation. So he gets up and he leaves and he goes back to his dorm. We were stationed in Panama. I was in Central America at the time. <clears throat> and he goes back to his dorm room and, and goes to sleep that night, gets up the next day, and he gets one of three DUIs that he ends up getting over the next two weeks. So at the end of the two weeks, he comes to my house, and he knocks on the door. Now, at this time, Seabass, Sierra, my daughter, is one year old, and I'm getting ready. It's Halloween, and I'm getting ready to take her trick-or-treating. And he knocks on my door, and he says, uh, he says, hey, man, he said, I got some more questions about Jesus. Can I ask you these questions? And I said, hey, dude, I really ain't got time right now. So I'm getting ready to take my kid trick-or-treating. Can you come back in a couple days? And so he kind of looks at me like, whoa, you know, which and it, they should. They should look at you when you do that. And so he leaves. Well, the next morning I get a phone call. And that night after Brian Young left my house, he went into his dorm room. He put a tie around his neck, hung it over a bar, drank a half gallon of Jack Daniels, turned his music up on full blast, and killed himself. Staff Sergeant Brian Kimmel was in the room next to him and he heard kicking and flailing around in a wall locker and he didn't know what it was, he just ignored it and rolled over and went back to sleep. See, Senior Airman Brian Young came to me to be the salt of the earth. He came to me hungry, looking for Jesus Christ. But the testimony that I returned back to him was not that that God had ordained me to do or any believer in Christ. I was a believer in Christ, but I wasn't living for Christ. But even though I wasn't living for Christ because I talked about Christ, I was still going to be able to witness to this guy. I could have saved a life that night, but instead, going around with a one-year-old child knocking on a door and asking for candy was more important to me. See, I was speaking Jesus Christ, but I wasn't living Jesus Christ. And because of that, there was no discernment in my spirit. There was no sympathy in my spirit. Nowadays, man, if a person were to come to knock on my door and say, hey, man, tell me about Jesus, I don't care where we're going as a family, it's shutting right down there, because kingdom work... God work, salvation is more important than anything we have in our life, including the county fair. Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. What does it mean to approve things? It means to differentiate between good and bad in our lives. Differentiate between good and bad. Differentiate between that which is God and that which is of the world. And see, the problem is we don't know how to differentiate anymore. Christians in the world, like I said before, I know you guys are all straight. I'm not talking about you guys right now. I'm talking about everybody else who's standing outside the wall listening. But we quit differentiating between that which is good and that which is the world. We view them as the same. And why is that? I lay that at the it's for two reasons. Number one, good and bad is no longer being preached in the pulpits of the United States of America anymore today. We turn on TVs, we get a watered down me- a portion of the message to go along with prosperity and send us your money, and then we no longer at home have prayer and Bible reading the way God hath ordained it to be. If you're reading your Bible, if you're receiving and you're being fed spiritually on Sunday by the Word of God, you will be able to discern within your spirit and differentiate between between that which is good and that which is evil. But we don't do that anymore. Why? Because it's too easy to do the bad and not the good. The good's going to require a cost. The good's going to require sacrifice. The good's going to require obedience. And it's so much easier to do now and ask forgiveness for God later. And that's where the church, universally speaking, is at today. That's why there's not prayer in the schools. That's why abortion is legal. That's why homosexual marriage is legal. Because the Christians quit praying. The Christians quit living according to the word of God. And we began to conform to the world. I asked this question a couple weeks ago. And I've asked it in many places that I've gone and preached when I haven't been here. How many in here actually got down on your knees and spent at least 10 minutes in prayer concerning the Supreme Court decision on homosexual marriage? The numbers are astounding against those that didn't, but they're also equally astounding as those that have raised up and voiced their opinion and disapproval. It's like going and being upset with who's president and you never voted to begin with. You don't have a right to say anything. Now, I know all you guys spent 10 minutes in prayer on us. I'm not worried about you. But that's what I'm trying to talk about when I'm saying differentiate between that which is good, that which is God, and that which is the world. And a lot of times, that which is in the world is just good enough that it deceives us into thinking that it's God. And it's not. It's not. I know you're probably sitting there thinking, all right, move on to the next point, Brother Cal, and this is starting to hurt my toes, and that's okay. Wear steel toes next week. Well, I'm not going to change the message that God has for this body here today. We must learn to differentiate between the two God and evil. God and the world. God says, don't do it, it's wrong. The world says it's okay. Go to church on Sunday, ask forgiveness for it, and you'll be all right. That's not living a righteous life. That's taking 10 steps backwards for every two steps you take forward in the kingdom of God. Titus 2.12 tells us to deny all ungodliness in our life, to deny it. Why does it say deny? Because it's going to be there. It's going to happen. God's not saying in his word that you're not going to be tempted. You're not going to have trials. You're not going to have problems. You're going to have ungodliness that's going to creep in because there's none perfect but Christ. But when that ungodliness creeps into your life, deny it. Cast it out. Move forward in the power and the name of Jesus Christ. Through his blood on Calvary, you have the authority through your tongue to speak life and death. Now, that doesn't mean that you can go and you can raise the dead or you can cast somebody to death. That's not what it's saying when it says you have the power of life and death in your tongue. That's saying you have the power of eternal life through Jesus Christ, and you can cast out all ungodliness and death to the devil for those thoughts and those things he's put in your life. You've got that power when you're praying, reading the Word of God, and you are the salt of the earth. When you're living that life, cast it out, deny it, and it must flee. But we don't do that as believers. Why? Because that's the hard road. It's, hey, man, I'm no different than anybody else. I know it's difficult when a temptation comes or something rises up in your life sometimes to say no. Sometimes there, there are times, man, I just want to clock somebody that has offended me. I'm no different than you. I, I get offended just like everybody else do. I get upset. I get mad. And sometimes I just want to tee off on somebody. And I, I know what you, you're all thinking. Well, pastor, you're, you're so meek and mild. You're a pastor. You know, you don't ever get mad. Ask this guy here if I ever get mad. He's seen me when I wasn't a pastor. Now, I don't get mad at him. He just gets stupid with it sometimes. But I have, and my wife will tell you, I I used to have a short fuse. You're supposed to say amen (laughs) right there. (laughs) But I get angry. Matter of fact, I would say my thorn in the flesh at times is my anger, and I deny that on a daily basis, and I pick up my cross, and I go forward. There have been times, folks, and, and you know, there have been times we've had functions here at the church, and I've gone home, and I've just, oh, i just wanted to explode. I've been so angry about something that's happened. I go into my prayer closet, and my wife will come in, and she'll be like, oh, honey, you know, it'll be all right. And I'm like, oh, ain't nothing worse than a man angry being consoled by their wife. Because you know she's Right? And we don't like it when she's right. We like it when she's right. I ain't trying to say that, but you don't want to hear it then. You want to hear it like two days later when you've cooled off. But there's been many times I've left here or or I've gone and I've preached at a church somewhere. And I'm saying church and I'm saying here for a reason because just because you walk into this place doesn't mean you're not going to be tempted of God, tempted of the devil. A lot of times we think, well, church is our safe haven, that's where we can go. That's where we're not going to be offended, that's where we're not going to get upset, that's where nobody's going to do anything wrong. But let me tell you something, the things in your life that you hold on to the most are those things negative that happen to you in your life inside these walls. Believer after believer that I come into contact with, talk about how they've been hurt in the Church of God, how somebody did something wrong, do you realize how many times I have got into vehicles with pastors to ride somewhere, and all I heard from the time, you could have just had a two-hour altar call, a great message, and as soon as I get in the car, wow, wow wow about everything that went wrong in the service and everybody that did something wrong or wasn't right in the service? Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever left this place and got in the car and been like, boy, that was a horrible service. The songs were terrible. Can you believe that message he preached? That was awful, arrogant of him. Look at Daphne's over there pointing to her dad. Oh, I know, Daphne. I know. But you know why that is? It's because we're human. But that's what God's telling us to deny. I do it. I've walked out of here before, man. Just gotten, it's good that I drive from here to my house by myself. See, I get here at 7.30 on Sunday morning. My wife brings the kids around 9.15, 9 o'clock, 9.15, something like that, depending on how fast Elijah gets going in the morning. And then she leaves, and she's home fixing lunch. By the time I get here and I leave from this, this parking lot to the house, and a lot of time that's where I detox. Okay, that's where I detox because as a pastor, I sit up here and I see everything that I don't want to see go wrong in a service or, or the, the enemy attacks me in different ways. And so I'm, I'm just clearing my mind as I go. But what am I doing? I'm denying ungodliness in my life. If you're not denying ungodliness in your life on a daily basis, what's happening to the ungodliness you're not denying? It's rooting itself into your life it is rooting itself into your mind your body soul mind and spirit you must deny the ungodliness does it mean you're never going to be ungodly no it doesn't it doesn't let me tell you something right now it doesn't the bible talks about it paul talks about a thorn in the flesh he, tra- he went to christ he went to god about it three times and god said what His grace is sufficient for thee. So it doesn't mean that the ungodliness is ever going to stop. It doesn't mean, Bob, that you ask Jesus Christ into your heart and now you're never going to have a temptation or a trial. It means the ungodliness is going to come more, 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 and more. But he's given you the grace to overcome that ungodliness in your life so that you might go to him and be an overcomer, not a submitter to that ungodliness. That's the grace of God. That's why Christ went to the cross. So Don't, as a believer, think, well, man, I I just submitted to that that ungodliness in my life. I feel guilty. I feel bad about it. Go to him and still ask forgiveness. Do still deny that ungodliness in your life because, you know what, you're not the only person that's ever submitted to ungodliness in their life once they came to Christ. And I can say this on every bit of authority that every person in this room right now has submitted to ungodliness in their life after they got saved because there's none perfect but Christ. And if there's an individual in here that says, I haven't submitted to ungodliness since I got saved, then they're submitting to the ungodliness of pride and a haughty spirit. Go deny it. Woo! quiet. I like quiet. Psalms 45, 7. Psalms chapter 45 and verse 7. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your fellows. You love righteousness and you hate wickedness. How do you begin to overcome the ungodliness in your life? How do you deny the ungodliness in your life? It's very simple, folks. You begin to hate sin. You begin to hate sin. Love righteousness, love the sinner, hate the sin. That's where the root of the denying ungodliness comes from. The world has taught us now that we don't hate the sin. Wickedness. What is wickedness translated as? Being morally wrong by God's standard. That's the definition of wickedness. Being morally wrong by God's standard. What's God's standard? Everything you read about in this Bible. If you don't know what God's standard is, do you don't, if you don't know how God wants you to live, get into the word of God. Because as you get into the word of God and you pray, the Holy Spirit will rightly divide that word to you so you will know. But it's not, wickedness isn't, isn't Sister Julie's standard. I'm sorry, as long as she has gone to church and as good an individual she is, it's not her standard we are to live by. It's not Brother Mark's standard we are to live by, or Brother Marty's, or Sister Wanda's standard. It's not their standard we are to live our life by. It's the standard of God, and what happens is we no longer hate the sin, we no longer hate wickedness. Yes, oh well, you're not supposed to hate. Yes, you are. That's Bible. You don't hate individuals, you hate the sin. You hate the wickedness. You deny that ungodliness in our life. And in doing that, you what? You love righteousness. But we quit hating wickedness. We quit hating sin. And in doing that, guess what we're doing? We're not loving righteousness. Why? Because if you truly loved righteousness in your life, you wouldn't hate the wickedness. You'd hate the wickedness. And you would cast it out. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. This guy's good back there, man. Verse 9 and 10. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord to all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Walk worthy of who you are in Christ. Who am I in Christ? Pastor Cowan, who am I in Christ? You are a child of the King. That's who we are. You are a joint heir with Christ. You are a child of the King. And it's time that the believers in the church rose up and acted like it. It's time we acted like it. When when, uh, Prince William or whoever it was over there in England got married, did you see the pomp and the circumstance and the fanfare that went with the royalty, who he was when he got married? How many turned it on and watched it? Or back in the day when Princess Diana got married, all the fanfare, all the TVs that were turned on to it. Why? Because she was royalty. She was was heir to the throne. Church, we're heir to the throne. We're royalty to the kingdom of God, but we don't act like it. We act like we're the hired help, the paupers, and the noblemen in the country, and God's saying, you are a child of the king. Rise up and act like the authority that you have placed inside of you through the blood of Jesus Christ at the cross of Calvary. But instead, we walk around beaten, downtrodden, not a care in the world because we just don't care. We're all upset. We're oppressed. We're depressed. The world has come against us, and we don't act like it. God's saying today, rise up in the authority of who you are and be that individual. I did not create you to be a joint heir with me and to crawl on your hands and feet and not deny ungodliness. He created you... And you accepted him, and you became one of him. You became a joint heir to the throne of God. And that's how we've got to act. In closing, I'm going to share a story with you. How many of you remember who Alexander the Great was? Alexander the Great is known as one of the ruthless rulers in the history of the world. Strict obedience was required within his troops. And if you were ever caught sleeping on the watch, he would have two sentries come, one would pour gas and one would light fire on you while you were asleep, and you were executed immediately. One day, he's walking through the troops and he's checking them out, and he sees at a watch point, he sees one of his young guard on on watch duty sleeping. And he noticed that it was a young man, and he walks up to the young man, and he doesn't say a word because the man happened to be guarding his tent his personal tent. And he looks at his soldiers, he says, bring him into me, bring him into my tent. And he comes in, they wake up the, sent- the, the guard, the sentry, and they bring him in, and he's sitting there on his throne in there, and he looks at the young man, and he speaks as with one of authority, as a great ruler should, and he says, young man, what is your name? And the young man is scared to death because he realizes he's fallen asleep, and he's a, he believes he's about to take his last breath on this earth. And he looks at him and he says, sir, my name is Alexander. And this angered Alexander the Great because they shared the same name. And he looks at the young man a second time and he says, young man, what is your name? And the young man, quieter this time, said, sir, my name is Alexander. And Alexander the Great, now angry, stands up and hollers, young man, what is your name? And in almost a whisper, the young man responds back, Sir, my name is Alexander. He said, then young man, either change your conduct or change your name. But you must live up to it if you're going to keep it. Church, that's where the church is at today. We either must change our conduct or we must change the name that's written on our heart. Because if we're not living up to the name that's wrote on our heart, if we're not living up to our king, if we're not living up to the leader, then we got to change it because everything we do is a representation of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? Amen. Who do we represent in our life? Whose name is written on our heart? Who do we serve? Who are we on guard for? We're the watchmen of this world. He has appointed us the watchmen. When you read it in Isaiah the 56th chapter, we are the watchmen, we are set on a post, we are set on a wall to be a defender of the faith of this world, to rise up and be the salt of the earth, to be a city on the hill, to be a light to the world. And if that name is written across our heart, if that name is written inside of us, then we have a duty to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to support him and live out fully his name. And if we can't do that, if our conduct is detrimental at all to his kingdom, we must step aside until we begin to live it again because life Lives hang in the balance. If we are falling asleep on our watch, Who is walking right past us and into our homes, into our schools, into our jobs, affecting our children, affecting every member of our single family? Husbands and fathers that are here today, what are you doing on your watch? What is your conduct? What are you allowing into your houses as you sleep at the doorpost, as you sleep in your bed at night, and you're no longer living up to the conduct of the name that's written on your heart? What is happening to your family around you? God is proclaiming today, where are his men that will rise up And assume the role of priest of the home and watchman and guard over the families. Oh, we have those that fall to the wayside. Why? Because we no longer institute conduct into the lives of our children, into the lives of our homes. We no longer gather as families around the table, eat and pray and hold hands and have prayer meetings. And God's saying, wake up, wake up the conduct in your home. Pastor Cowan, I don't know why everything's going on in my life. What's written on your heart? Not what you think. What's actually wrote on your heart? Where are you going with your life? Who are you protecting? Yourself or the name of God? God. Let me tell you something the world is not putting an attack on the church through abortion prayer in schools gay marriage removing the 10 commandments that's not a church on, that's not an attack on me that's not an attack on brother Mark that's not an attack on Crossview Worship Center that's an attack on God and we are to stand up and defend the faith according to Jude 3 He says we must earnestly always contend for the faith. That doesn't mean judge not lest ye be judged. That doesn't mean turn the other cheek. That's for when you are offended personally, but when they come against the name of God, when they come against Him alone, that's when you attack, that's when you stand up, and that's when you become the sentry. That's when you become the watchman. That's when your code of conduct will be called into question, and you must ride forth and defend the Word of God for when we don't do that for when we sit to our sides for when we worry about ourselves that's when we're defeated that's when we're cut asunder that's when we lose our children that's when we lose our grandchildren to suicide drugs alcohol and the things of the world and god saying rise up in your conduct and i shall deliver thy home i did not have his name wrote on my heart The day Brian Young came to my door and knocked on it and wanted to hear about Christ. I'm responsible, I believe, to this day for that life that hung in the balance that night. Why? Because of my conduct. Because of the way I was living my life. Even as bad as I was living it on that day, he still saw a glimpse, just a sliver of Christ in my life to come and knock on my door and I turned him away when I turned him away and I closed the door I might as well have been saying go to hell I don't have time for you go to hell I don't want to listen to you go to hell Brian Young you're important to me but getting candy with my kid is more important who have we told to go to hell today in our lives Who have we closed our door on? Who have we turned our back to? Who in our life do we allow them to get away with the things that are wrong? Who in our life do we allow them to preach false doctrine and things that are going to sit there and carry a person down into apostasy because we don't want to offend them, we don't want to upset them? Yes, there comes a point when preaching it, someone will turn them away. But until you get to that point, you must preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because I don't want anybody in this room to have to go to bed at night and think the same way I did back then, that I just cast someone into hell because of my own stupidity, because I wasn't living my life for Christ, because I wasn't listening to God, because my conduct was that detrimental to the kingdom. Let's all stand. As Sister Crystal comes...